You can be seated. And if you'd like, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Philippians. We, of course, we finished our Advent series, of course, uh, last week. Andy, as he's, will be back next week, and month of January, as he's, he's mentioned, he's going to do a, a series, a sermon series on worship for the month of January. I'm, I'm excited for those. I hope you are as well. But for today, this New Year's Eve, we'll look at the last section here of chapter 1 in the book of Philippians. Um, just a reminder, we've looked at Philippians now twice. One thing we've said is that Philippians is sort of like the basic gospel 101, okay, gospel bread and butter. So each sermon I've titled, The Gospel Does Something, okay. We've looked at the, the first one, we looked at the gospel guarantees glory. Uh, last time, about a month ago, we said that the gospel defeats pride. And today, this morning, we'll look at how the gospel gives confidence. Okay? The gospel gives confidence. Let's now read this, the word of the Lord starting the second half of verse 18 through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you give us ears to hear your word this morning? Would you give us change? Would you make us change? Would your power Work in our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever wondered how you might die? Okay. Of course you have. I think we all have, right? We all run through these scenarios maybe in our head from time to time. Uh, some of these sh- scenarios are not good. Okay? They, they make us shudder. They're frightening. But other scenarios, we, we do something heroic, right? Or, or, or maybe we say something profound at just the right time. Okay, I remember when Annie and I, we had first started dating in college, she had been to a, a big conference, and a pastor had gotten up there, and he had recounted one of these scenarios that he plays out from time to time in his mind. Okay, he's out in public somewhere, and he hears and sees someone open fire. And instead of running away 
from the bullets, he runs towards it. What does he do? But he actually jumps in front of the gunman, a heroic act, but he yells out something profound at the same time. Do you know what he yells out? Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he's hit, he goes down. It was memorable for Annie, it was memorable for those that were at the conference. What, what about a real-life scenario? Okay, that's pretend. What, what about a real-life scenario? Andrew Chung, uh, he was a ruling elder uh, in the PCA. He, uh, several weeks before he died, he was taken to Northwestern Hospital in Illinois to clear a blockage in his heart. Okay, the procedure was invasive, and it took longer than they anticipated it would. But eventually the surgeon came out to the waiting room, and there was his family. The surgeon told him there had been significant amount of bleeding. He couldn't make any promises. wasn't sure if he was going to make it through the night. They better rush all the family to the hospital right then. So that's what they did. The family, the children all rushed to the hospital. They rushed to his bedside, and there they were weeping. They were preparing to say their goodbyes to him. As the anesthetic eventually wore off, Andrew was in a significant amount of pain, so much pain he wasn't actually able to verbalize anything, at least for a time. But he saw the distress on their faces, and you could, he could get a gist what was happening. So he motioned for pen and paper, and there he wrote down something profound. What did he write? Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Hallelujah. Then actually, surprisingly, he spoke. He spoke just three words. He said, nothing has changed. You see, in the face of terrible circumstances, the face even of death, what did Andrew have? Well, he had confidence. Confidence that all is well. Nothing has changed, he said. And we we say, nothing has changed. What you, are you crazy? Everything has changed. No. No, he says. Nothing has changed. Not really, whether in life or in death. This is Paul's message to us here at the end of chapter 1 to the Philippians. Confidence across of all of life's varied circumstances. Yes, confidence even in the face of death. We say, well, how? Right? How can I exude confidence in, in disappointment and in trial and in difficulty and in death? It, it seems near impossible, you know, maybe for Andrew, right? I mean, that's what we think. Maybe for a superstar pastor out there, maybe they can have the confidence. Me, no way. No way I can have that confidence. Yes, it's possible for you. And it's possible, why? Because of the gospel. Okay, not possible because of heroic courage. Not possible because of miraculous pl- display of strength. It's possible because of the continued application of this gospel message to every circumstance of your life. That's what I want us to get this morning. So I truly want us to understand that the gospel gives us confidence across all of life. Okay, and I want to approach this under three headings this morning. 
Okay, the first one we're going to ask, we're going to talk about why your definition of life matters. Okay, this is going to get towards the confidence angle there. Okay, secondly, we're going to look at this phrase. What does it, Paul really mean when he says to live is Christ? Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. And then thirdly, we're going to all be driving towards this question, how can you have confidence? Okay, so first, why your definition of life matters. Verse 21, yes, it's the most famous verse here in this passage, but not just the most famous, but I think the, the focal point of the passage. Really, the whole passage could be said to be expounding upon this single line of Paul. So what's Paul doing here? Well, okay, he, he's giving us a definition of life, right? Life's meaning, our, our purpose on the earth, these supreme questions that we all wrestle with at least uh, from time to time. Paul says there, his definition, to live is Christ. Okay? So life is Christ. We say Christ is life. It's a simple definition. It's short. It's profound. It's world-shattering. It really is. It's world-shattering for every single person in every single generation. You know, among the ruins of, of ancient Carthage, this happened a while ago, archaeologists, they discovered an inscription. Okay, and there's an inscription written by a Roman soldier, and it had his definition of life on it. Uh, can you guess what it said? Okay, it, said it said these words. He said, to laugh, to hunt, to bathe, to game, that is life. Now that one I like better, if you ask me. That one I like better. That sounds like heaven on earth, doesn't it? Right? To, to live for the best set of circumstances to produce the maximum pleasure. Right? That's really what, that seems like the best life. I can really get behind that one, can't you? You know, haven't you had those periods in your life, I know I have, when it seemed like the best set of circumstances were occurring? Right? The stars all aligned somehow. Your job was fulfilling. Your marriage was in harmony. You had time for your favorite hobbies and interests. Your kids were loving and peaceful. And what do you do when that happens? Okay. We walk around like we're on cloud nine, don't we? Life is great. It's only going to get better. Nothing could bring me down. Right? You have all the confidence in the world. But what happens? Well, you know, circumstances change, don't they? As they do. Or maybe your mood alters. As it does. You sin, others sin, you come down off the cloud, eventually. And if you're able to recognize it, you realize all of what you had previously, you thought that was real confidence. It wasn't. It was a false confidence about life. Your definition of life couldn't actually hold up to the actual realities of this world, no matter how much you wanted it to. So what is your definition of life? Honestly evaluate it for yourself. What's your definition? In other words, what's the ultimate thing for you, we could say? What drives you? What inspires you to live and do everything you do? Is it to be considered a really good person by others? I think probably for, for a lot of us, at least some of us in here, that one hits a little close to home, just to be considered a really good person. It's your definition of life to wring out as much pleasure 
as possible like the Roman soldier. What's your definition of life to accumulate great experiences or, or great material goods? What is that definition for you? We, we all have our functional answers. Let's not pretend we don't. Okay? We all have our functional answers. But can your definition actually hold up to the realities of life? Maybe some of you say, well, right now, everything seems to be going fine. seems to be working out. Would it do fine if you lost everything? You have to ask yourself that. You lost your money. You lost your influence. Would your definition do fine if someone aired your dirty laundry? No one considered you good anymore. Would your definition hold up when, when sickness and death come knocking? As they eventually will for all of us. You see, a definition of life that cannot handle change or difficulty, suffering, and death, it's complete fraud of a definition. Okay. These definitions, they promise you heaven on earth, but they actually, you know, C.S. Lewis lightning gets you neither. You know, what, what are Paul's circumstances here in this letter? We, we actually talked about this last time. What's his circumstances? Well, Paul's facing trial here. He's imprisoned. He's facing maybe a potential execution. And we think normally, we think, surely that had to impact, that had to, that had to take, uh, uh, that's a blow to his understanding of life, right? No, it wasn't. It's not even close, actually. How did, how did Paul respond in the face of trial and death? Verse 20, okay? He says, with full courage there now, and he says, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He says, if I live, I'll be fine. If I die, I'll be fine. And he, and he even goes on, we read it there, he even says, well, death actually would be better for me. That's pretty shocking for us, isn't it? That's pretty shocking for anyone, as I mentioned, anyone in any, in any generation. Do you remember last time we talked about this as well? What, who became Paul's missionary field in prison? It was the Roman soldiers, right? It was Roman soldiers to, li- to laugh, to hunt, to bathe, to game. That is life, those type of people, right? And Paul's okay to lose that all. Paul's okay to lose it all? That had to hit them like a ton of bricks. Like, I hope it hits us. Right? It's a complete paradigm shift from the way we typically think about life. Now, we read in there, too, but Paul, and if you know this story, he ends up expressing certainty, right? You see that in the second half, that he is going to be delivered. Right? Out of prison, he's not going to die right now. He's certain about that. But do you know why? Do you know why Paul expresses that certainty? It's not because he, he you know, I haven't checked, out all, checked off all the things on my bucket list, this wouldn't be fair if I died now, or, or God always delivers the good people out of bad situations. That's not his reasoning. And the only reason that Paul actually escapes a bad circumstance is because God isn't through using him yet. You can, you can sort of read between the lines as Paul's writing to the Philippians that the Philippians are sort of in the beginning stages of an existential crisis without Paul. Okay. They're, they're weak, and they feel vulnerable. They have 
legitimate enemies as well. Not just sort of, we just don't like each other, run-of-the-mill enemies. They have persecuting enemies. And they're scared without Paul. See, as Paul's deliverance, it gets him out of a bad circumstance. That's true. I'm sure he would lo- he'd love to be out of prison. But that's not the point of getting out. Right? The point of him getting out is to help the Philippians. Okay, that, that's why I say all this to say Paul's little short definition of life is so important. You see, do you see how it didn't change? Okay? He's absolutely confident in the face of death. And he's absolutely confident in anticipating of him being delivered. Okay? Circumstances don't actually make him alter his definition one single bit, do they? And don't, don't you want that kind of confidence that Paul has? Don't you, don't you have some sense that in that type of confidence, that's how I want to live my life? How, how can you have that confidence? Well, okay, we're going to get there. But first, like I said, we need to understand really what's behind this confidence. And, and it's this phrase that Paul says in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ. All right, that's, that's his definition, but what exactly does it mean? Okay. You know, we have to ask the question, does this mean to live as Christ? Is this sort of a triumphal sort of sentiment, right? Is this sort of pie in the sky, just sort of removed yourself from circumstances and just sort of sit back and, and be happy? You know, there's definitely a, a strain of non-Christian critique about those ideas. Okay? And I think so far as we have communicated sort of sentimental or maybe a, a stoic version of Christianity, those critiques are fair. Okay, but that's most definitely not what Paul means by this phrase. What he means by this phrase is that Christ is that ultimate thing for him. Christ is life. He is the meaning. He is the purpose. He is the goal of his life, of all of life. And what this means is that you're not just sort of stoically removed from circumstance, no. But instead that Christ brings to bear, he affects every single circumstance that you have. How does this work? When you think about, well, how do I think about life? How do I calculate success for, for the Christian? The answer of Paul would say, well, I calculate it in Christ. Right? How do I think about marriage or parenting or, or singleness? I think about it in Christ. How, how do I endure suffering and trial? I, I, I endure it in Christ. How do I speak? How do I interact with others? I, I speak and interact in Christ. That's how Paul's thinking about it. Okay, maybe it'll help to think about it like this. In, in 1953, um, as the Lord of the Rings was preparing for publication, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of the Lord of the Rings, wrote this about about this um, book that was about to come out. He said, The Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious work. He said, okay. The religious element is absorbed into the story and the symbolism. Okay. If you know the Lord of the Rings, as I'm sure uh, many of you do, there, there are so many rich and moving themes in that story. There's friendship and suffering, sacrifice, temptation. If you were to take any one of those themes, great themes, 
and say the story is primarily or fundamentally about this. It's fun- fundamentally about friendship or it's fundamentally about suffering. Tolkien would say, no, no, it's not. Those things are just tributaries into the mainstream. They're not the mainstream. The mainstream of the story is the Christian story. Did, did you hear what, what Tolkien said there? He said, he said almost by accident Christ is in there. Right? He says the religious element is absorbed into the story. Christ was so present in his thinking, he's, he's, he's not mentioned in the story, but he's there. Okay. Christ gives all the themes their weight and their significance. That, this is how I think we, we should think about Paul's statement here. Okay. Christ is so absorbed into the very themes of your life. Every single one. Okay. You see... What I mean is that other things, they can be a part of your life, can't they? Right? You spent a part of your life working at your job. You spent a part of your life doing your hobbies and interests, part of your life traveling, part of your life doing this and that. What happens tomorrow, of course, if, if you get fired? Or you retire? What happens to your life? What happens when you get sick? You can't travel anymore. What happens? What happens if you have kids and you just don't have time for your favorite interests and your favorite hobbies anymore? What happens to your life? You see, if if you're like that Roman soldier, you won't be able to deal with it. Your life will forever be a shell of itself. You'll be always discouraged, always maybe even, even depressed. But if you're like, Paul, those things, they're they're just tributaries. They aren't the mainstream of your life. The mainstream of your life is fresh and healthy. The mainstream of your life is Christ. If you can stop coming to church, stop praying, stop reading the Bible, stop listening to sermons, stop interacting with other Christians, and your life be more or less the same, I would contend with you this morning, then Christ is not your life. He might be a part of your life, but he isn't your life. What Paul means to tell us this morning is that Christ should be your life, especially as a professing Christian. He's not just a part you can throw off. If you throw him off, you throw off life itself. It's with, it's with that understanding that I think you, we can see how Paul can pair the two statements of verse 21 together. Iconic statements. Right? To live is Christ, to die is gain. How do those two fit? Because if Christ is your life, then death just means getting more of him. That's what Paul's talking about. Christ is your life. Death is just getting more of Christ. Death, for that Roman soldier, it means the loss of all things good, doesn't it? Everything that makes life worth living, it's gone. Right? But death for the Christian means that the good things only get better. 
good things only get better. So how, how does that give you confidence? I think we're still missing a, a little piece here to, to answer that question. Okay? And we, you know, your definition of life is important. This phrase, to live as Christ, is important. But really, how do they give you confidence? I think to really understand it, we have to follow Paul's thought to another book. Yeah, we, have, we have to go with him to the book of Galatians. Galatians 2.20, specifically. So how could Paul say to live is Christ? Well, I think he could write that because of Galatians 2.20. You know what Galatians 2.20 is? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Before you can have the confidence that Paul has here, you have to die first, don't you? And by dying, do you see what Paul gained? The spiritual death. Do you, do you see what he, he, he gained? Christ, the Son of God, was dwelling in him. Right? Christ, the Son of God, dwelling in him, the life source, the supplier of all things good, made Paul his home. We have to ask, why did Jesus do that? Because in some sense, Jesus has said to us what Paul said to the Philippians. Jesus has said to us, for me to live is for you. That's what he said. For me to die is for you. He's come saying, I'll be crucified for you. I'll endure suffering for you. I'll take God's wrath for you. I'll conquer Satan for you. I will overcome the world. Why? For you. Why is laughter, hunting, bathing, gaming, why is that not enough for Paul? Why shouldn't it be enough for you? Because of the gospel. Jesus is not only better than the offerings of this world, but he offers you a new life. Complete new life. Yes, for Paul, he still lived in this world, of course. He had, he had his, sort of his job, his friends and family. He probably had his fair share of hobbies and interests. But because he has died to himself, those things are no longer the ultimate thing for him. Are they? Therefore, he can have confidence whether everything was going his way like it, like it was probably at times. Or nothing is like it is now as he's writing to the Philippians. Nothing's going his way. He can have confidence. Why? His confidence is rooted in a Savior who has taken away his sin. Right? His conscience is clear. No longer guilty. A Savior who has reconciled him to God. He doesn't have to prove himself. He doesn't have to prove how good he is anymore. A Savior who has brought him into the family of God. He doesn't have to worry about spending his days alone and forgotten. A Savior who has conquered his enemies, Paul's enemies. Others cannot dictate the way he thinks anymore. A Savior who has conquered the grave. Death cannot dominate. Death has no power over Paul. You see, the gospel applies to each and every circumstance of your life. I, I hope you see that. I hope you know that. That's the only way Paul is confident here. Again, don't you want that type of confidence? Don't you want to live in that confidence no matter what life would bring you? 
You can have it. You can have it. It's not reserved for the spiritual elite. It's for you. Do you take the gospel, that gospel message, Jesus has died for me, Did you apply it to each circumstance you go through? It alone can give you confidence through them all. Let's pray. Oh, Father, in disappointment and trial and sin and and death, it's hard to have confidence that all is well. So would you remind us of the gospel in each circumstance we face? Oh, we know Christ alone can overcome all our difficulties. So would you give us a trust? Would you give us a confidence in him alone? We pray all of this in his name. Amen. Okay, would you stand and receive the benediction? Afterwards, we will sing the doxology. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. For the sermon archive, go to wpcjc.org forward slash resources forward slash sermon hyphen archive. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible, English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. ESV texts may not be quoted in any publication made available to the public by a Creative Commons license. ESV may not be translated in whole or in part into any other language. Verbal credit must also be given to the ESV.